I'd like to uh, start uh, on time, and it's even better to start early, so uh, let's bow our heads. Our Father, we are certainly thankful that we are here together and know that you are here as well as you've promised. We pray that uh, as we spend this time together, our thoughts will be turned to you and that you will teach us more about how to work together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you who don't know us, this is my wife, Lynn. And uh, she and I have been together now for almost 35 years. And uh, this past year was the best one yet, I think. But the first one was really good. Okay. So... Um, First, I thought I would uh, share a few quotes with you um, from uh, the faith I live by on the home. Uh, the mission of the home extends beyond its own members. Now, those of you who are physicians or those of you who aren't may have read in Ministry of Healing the chapter, The Physician and Educator, it says, the duty of the physician extends beyond his own patients to the community. And now we read that the uh, mission of the home extends beyond its own members. So it's not just the people in your house that your mission is to. The object of the Christian home, uh, the Christian home is to be an object lesson illustrating the true principles of life. Uh, far more powerful than any sermon that can be preached is the influence of a true home upon human hearts and lives. Isn't that amazing? Do you really want to be a witness? Then you've got to get the home right, right? I mean, think of all the sermons that can be preached. And this says far more powerful is the influence of a Christian home. Uh, but, you know, you think, well, I've, I've got to have this home, and I've got to have it right, and it's got to be this, and it's got to be that. I love this, this uh, paragraph here. It says, a lamp, however small, if kept steadily burning, may be the means of lighting other lamps. Our sphere of influence may seem narrow, Yet wonderful possibilities are ours through the faithful use of our own homes. You know, sometimes you may be tempted to think, well, if I had a bigger house or if I had a smaller house or if I had this or if I had that. Remember, it's the small lamp kept steadily burning. Uh, but then how about those of us who aren't married or who don't have... Uh, that ideal uh, setting. Uh, this is from 7 Manuscript 386. We are never alone. No one of us is ever apart from family. If you're all alone, you still have God the Father. You still have Jesus, your elder brother. You still have family. We are never alone we can never put forth the least effort for the advancement of the work of God in our world. 
but the act thrills through all the universe of heaven and makes us co-laborers with God, united with the heavenly principalities and powers. Isn't that wonderful? We're never alone. We're always, as God's children, in family. We always have a home. Right, Lynn? Well, I will turn it on. Start again. <laughs> um, is it on now? Yes. Okay. Um, I just want to make certain to be very clear in explaining that the principles that we're talking about are for anyone and for all of us. Because, you know, maybe some t we may be in a very happy marriage, but we may have to present something on our own at some time. Or we may be separated from family. Or you, there can be a whole host of times when we may be alone, but we are never alone. You know, with our Heavenly Father with us, we always have his love, his care, his wisdom, his strength to stand beside us and to help us, and to give us the right words, to give us the help and, and the help that we need. And as I've thought about this, you know, one example that is really meaningful to me is Cory Ten Boom. And you think of Corey, you know, she, she shared her life. She shared the stories from her family and from her experiences in prison and universities to very educated people, to prisoners in, in Uganda jails. But wherever it was, she was able to share from her own personal experience. And that sharing was able to to kind of create a sense of family in the people that were listening to her so that the people were able to say, yes, you know, Corey's God is a real God and I can believe in him too. So whatever your situation, as a Christian, you have home to share. You have your home with your heavenly father, with Jesus, your brother, and you have your heavenly home that you're looking forward to as well as your Christian family. All of that is home. So no one should feel excluded from the ability to share home and to share together. There are several principles of um, working together, both in the home and if you're out of the home presenting uh, that we'd like to share with you. They're simple principles but I think they'll be helpful to you as they have been to us. Uh, the first of them is uh, thinking about opening your home to other people. Uh, I would encourage you to remember the phases of life. Uh, when you are just married, you may do things a little differently than when you've been married for a few years. And you may do things a little bit differently when you have children than when your children are grown and gone. I, I wouldn't encourage you when you're first married, those first months, that first year, to open your home and invite lots of people over. You know, even in scripture, uh, you can read in Deuteronomy how when a man was first married, he was excused from all duties of war for the first year. 
and he didn't have to leave. There were s certain things that God saw fit to, to convey upon a family that was just married. And, and I think that at that stage, your mission is each other. And don't get too involved in mission. And then, when children come, be careful. Be careful. You may have heard tragic stories about families that with all the best intentions that had little children and they had people come and stay with them and tragic things can happen. When you have little children, yes, you may open your home, but be very careful. Be thoughtful uh, and pray for their protection and keep them in your sight. We do not live in a good world. We live in an evil world. And yes, there are angels that are strong and can protect us. Never fail to ask for the protection of your children. Remember, remember there are phases to life. There are things that Lynn and I do today that we wouldn't have done when our son, who's here, one of them at least, Barry, was little. Um, I, I'm not sure we would have trusted our uh, our guests with Barry around. He, might, you know, he and his brothers were kind of exciting and, uh, and, uh, you know, hard to keep in line sometimes. And there's phases to life. Keep that in mind. Well, the other thing that's true is that when our boys were young, we tried to keep our lives really quiet and simple. So we didn't do a lot of things in the evening. I didn't do lots of cooking schools in the evening. We just kind of kept life quiet. You know, we sat around the fire and read good books, went, you know, went cross-country skiing and snowshoeing and you know, had good times at home, but it was kind of home-based. And for us, you know, and I'm not saying that the, the equation of how we did it is the equation, because I think God has to show each of us what's the right path. And that may be quite different for everyone. But for us, the right thing was for those years we didn't do lots of lifestyle education as we have once the boys went to college. But once the boys went to college, then we kind of went into high gear and started doing lots and lots of um, health education and outreach. At least more of it, more, that's, yeah. that's for very sure. Uh, another thing that I would say is uh, when you invite people over or when people come over uninvited, don't change your life or your pattern for them. Uh, and we'll give you an illustration of that. We have um, a very dear friend whose name is Lee, and her husband's name is Paul. And she is um, decidedly way far off into new age and kind of out there. <laughs> To say the least. A very, very, very secular person. But Big time into um, belly dancing and uh, <laughs> exotic dancing and lots of other exciting things. Very artistic, creative, off-the-wall kind of person. Well, she's precious, but she, she loves to come over to our house. And one day she was over, and it was time to have Friday night worship. And so she said, yes, she'd like to be part of Friday night worship, although she'd never experienced a Friday night worship. She didn't know what worship was, I don't think. Anyway, she was there, and so we had Friday night worship, and she loved it. 
And the thing that's been really interesting is since that time, she'll call us up and she'll say, can I come over for Friday night worship? And so for me, that was a really powerful example because in a thousand years, I never would have thought of inviting her for Friday night worship. And yet there was the hunger in her heart for that, that it, it was very meaningful to. And so I, I guess one lesson for me was that we never know who might be very open, who might be very hungry. So never kind of, kind of decide in your heart someone may or may not be interested because everyone is, has a heart hunger for God. They're in your home, and, and just be yourself. Uh, she's come back. She brought her daughter one time. She called us up. It was almost sunset, and she said, can I come over my daughter's home? I really want to have sundown worship with you, and she used the, those words, sundown worship. And then another time she called up and she said, my husband and I have had a really bad week. Can we come over for sundown worship? We really need that peace that you have. You know, people know that there's something different, especially at sundown for Adventists. And, you know, sometimes we're really pushed. And, you know, they, when I was here uh, in California in medical school, they used to have the joke that, uh, sundown worship happens in the checkout line in Alpha Beta um, or whatever the store is there now, I don't know, but you, you tend to push the edges too much. I would say at least if not for yourself, guard the edges for those people who may come because that's a really special time. Uh, and one of the things I like to share, and we did share this with Lee, is the meaning of Sabbath to me. And the way I explain it is if you go to that text in Scripture in Genesis where it says, and God finished his creation and God rested on the seventh day, the word rested there is the Hebrew word shavath. And one of the meanings, in fact, the ancient meaning of that word shavath is to sit down. And, and so I tell them, I say, now picture this. Whether you believe in the creation account or not, picture this with me. God's just made Adam and Eve, his kids. He's all done, and then he sits down. What do you have when you sit down for kids that you don't have when you're standing? A lap, that's right. And so at sundown, we picture God sitting down and, and inviting us up onto his lap because we're his kids. And people that are restless really resonate with that. And you know, you just have a, a song, read a text, and then light a candle and sit there quietly. It doesn't happen in most places. I mean, people aren't, they don't know what, so they come back. So I'd encourage you, that's one thing. Don't change your schedule. Just open your arms and have them participate uh, in worship, whether it's Friday night worship or in the mornings. If they're guests there, uh, I told the story of Al uh, uh, several uh, last night, mm -hmm. and uh, Al Jolson and his wife came. Wife now was girlfriend came up to our home and have stayed with us several times. So we have worship when they're there. So we say, "Come on up." And we go to church on Sabbath, and if you, if you want to go with us, 
great, we'd love to have you. If you don't, you're welcome to stay here at home. Well, they always go with us. It's wonderful. I, and, you know, I said, this is what we do. You're welcome to come. Encourage people to participate in the rituals that you all of us have as families. That's very important. Um, so here's another one that I think is really important that we've learned the hard way. I should say, I've learned the hard way. And that is uh, when you're in public, also in private, it's, it's a good idea, but particularly when you're in public, build each other up. Now I'll tell you a story about when I didn't do this. My wife lectures a lot on vitamin D. We have a um, lifestyle choices course that we've been doing for about 20 years now. And when the children were little, she didn't help as much. Now she does quite a bit with the, the class. And um, I came in uh, about halfway through her vitamin D lecture. Usually I'm late because I'm working in clinic. And uh, I just answer questions at the end. And that had always worked really well. But uh, I got there a little early one day, and she said something that I disagreed with. I didn't think it was supported by the medical literature because I had read otherwise some years before. And so I went, I started right into corrector. Um, my wife looks sweet, and she is, but she's also very, um, she's got a nice strong backbone and she snapped right back at me in a kind, sweet way and said, I don't think you've read the latest literature, which I hadn't. You know, that wasn't really pretty as we uh, had this set to in front of these people. But, you know, I learned an important lesson. If you're going to differ, don't do it up front. It doesn't work too well. Especially didn't work well for me. <laughs> I think you should be honest, though, and tell them that I didn't push it. She didn't push it hard. No, I didn't. She was really sweet, but like, I caught it. I caught it later. Yeah, I caught it later, and she was still sweet. Um, that's for sure. Um, we have a few other stories on that same point. And I want to just preface it by saying this. It's always good to share stories uh, of, you know, the little struggles in the family, provided the person telling the story is always the butt of the joke. Don't tell a story on your spouse that makes them look bad. So one of the stories that... Um we often tell a lifestyle or some of our lifestyle classes when we're trying to teach some important lessons. The stories of things that have happened in our own home. And one thing that happened to Tim and I, and this happened years ago, I'd, we'd kind of been going through some difficult times and there had been some kind of it, painful, decidedly painful interactions between some of the families. And, and my, particularly to me. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. And every time I thought about it, I'd feel worse. And I'd kind of rehearse it over and over in my head and say, well, you know, how could this have happened? You know, and 
I tried to make it right, and I just can't seem to fix it. And, and it'd be, so in this one case, it had been kind of going on for a few years. So I, I was kind of going over it in my head. And so then a new thing happened that was really painful. So I was talking to Tim early one morning, and I said, Tim, let me tell you what just happened. So I was going over it, and I said, you know, I feel really badly about this. And, and Tim stopped me, and he said, Lynn, he said, you are circling the drain. I was like, circling the drain? <laughs> I said, don't you care that I'm hurting? But actually, you know, it was like, it was the most loving thing he ever could have done for me because I was circling the drain. I was thinking about this painful circumstance that I couldn't do anything about. The only option I had was to forgive and to let it go. And so by whizzing it around in my head and, and talking about it, I wasn't solving it. I was just circling the drain. And so somehow when Tim said that to me, it was like a real aha moment. It was like the light came on in my head and I said, he's right. I, initially I felt bad and then I thought, no, this is right. And I've just got to let it go. So now let's replay that. <laughs> what if I had told that story instead of Lynn? How would that have gone over? You gotta stop circling the drain. You gotta, you see? That doesn't work so well. When you tell a story on your spouse like that, that makes them look, draws their shortcomings. Here's one that I tell, and if she told it, it wouldn't work. Um, we deal with people that have problems with uh, emotional eating. I know none of you have that problem, so you know you it, you just think about patients that you have that have the problem. Uh, occasionally, I'll come home from work, and I'll find myself in front of the refrigerator, with the door open, gazing into the refrigerator, as if my problems will be solved by something in there. Now I know none of you've done that. And you know what Lynn says? She says, have you had a hard day? You know, she doesn't say shut the door. She doesn't say, okay, now let's take that story. What if Lynn told that to those people and says, sometimes my husband comes home and, would that have gone over as well? No. So be careful how you tell the stories. You always want to build your spouse up. You know, that's, that's not only true when you're together, although it's really important then, it's also true when you're apart. Um, my wife's father said something to us when we were uh, first married. Um, I had a ring that my grandmother wore and I gave it to Lynn when we were married, not during the ceremony, but subsequently, and she was working out in public but for some reason, that little tiny platinum ring really hurt her finger, and so she decided not to wear it. Plus, we had some questions about whether we should or not. And um, her father said, oh, you don't need a ring. Just walk into work, Lynn, and you can look out the window and say, you know, my husband said it was going to rain today, and then everyone will know you have a husband. <laughs> Or you can say, look what a beautiful day. My husband was right. He said it was going to be a beautiful day. And 
You know, if you bring, if your spouse is absent from you, but you bring them up in a positive way, it, it, you just look all the better. I have made this a habit at the hospital where I work, and you know, the nurses know that I speak well of my wife, not because it's hard to now, it never was hard to, but if you make it a habit to speak well of your spouse and to speak of them often, you know, the nurses there, they just love it when I talk about my wife. They say, oh, I hope my husband's saying that about me when he's at work. <laughs> or, I wish I had a husband that would talk like me. I want to find one like that. And I say, keep looking. <laughs> <You know. laughs> but it, you just shine so much more when you lift your spouse up in public. It's just so very, very important. You know, another thing that Tim and I have found, we know we don't always lecture together, but we do lecture some together. And actually, it's wonderful to lecture together because you can be talking along, trying to teach a concept, and Tim will realize that maybe there's something I didn't explain quite well enough so he can expand on it or the vice versa, and that you can kind of hold each other up. Or say that you're doing a cooking school, and I'm trying to whiz all these things through my recipe, and Tim sees that I need a little bit of help, and so he's right there to help me. It's, it's really wonderful. After doing it together, I've, I've grown to really appreciate it, and now when I, I lecture by myself, I think, oh, you know, I missed, I missed Tim. Uh, Lynn will help me repeatedly in several areas. One, if I'm getting too far into chemistry and starting to lose my audience, she'll, you know, signal, me, signal to me, no, 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 you know, make it practical, uh, uh, bring out the practical points. And that's really helpful because I tend to go off into biochemistry too much. Uh, Another thing that's uh, very uh, helpful uh, is uh, when you're working together like that, uh, pay attention to what your spouse is saying, uh, simply because if you watch them while they talk, the audience watches them. It's very important. If you're over here, you know, doing this while they're talking and know, fiddling with your pockets and things like that, that's very obvious. But if you're looking at them, that's obvious too. So that's very important. Um, so one more thing here. Pray for your spouse when they're talking. Pray beforehand. And here's an illustration of uh, one time that that really helped. We give a talk on Friday nights. We do a lifestyle course that goes for 10 days, four times a year. It's always really busy, but it's a good time. But on Friday nights, we always give one talking about the Sabbath and forgiveness and the importance of choosing cheerfulness as opposed to bitterness and topics like that. Or and resting from things. Resting from things. Resting from bitterness resting from carrying burdens you shouldn't carry, uh, resting from worry. So we tie the Sabbath into all of that rest. And 
because we do this program four times a year, and we've done it how many years? 20. 20 years. So as you can imagine, we have some people that repeat and, and come and, and, and do the same program again. And so we both have felt compelled to try and recreate e each lecture. You know, and maybe we'll use some of the same concepts, but we'll try and, and bring new ones to the table so that people are there for the second or third or fourth time. You know, there's some new ways to present it. So one Friday afternoon, it had been a really busy week. And in my mind, I thought we were kind of going to do something fairly similar to what we usually did. So I had it kind of in my mind of what we would be presenting. And I came to Tim's office, and he had kind of thought of a new, very creative way to do it. And he had it all, he was all excited. And he said, oh, this is what we're going to do. You know, it explained it all to me, and I thought, I just, for the life of me, I could not conceptualize how I could be part of that presentation because I couldn't get myself into his thoughts. And so I said, that's great. I said, just do it by yourself <laughs> because I couldn't, I couldn't put myself into it. And then he felt bad. He said, you know, he said, no, you know, we always do it together. We have to do it together. So then we felt, it was usually, you know, we feel really comfortable working together. But this particular Friday night, I'm just telling you very honestly, was a painful night and a hard one. And both of us said, you know, we honestly feel empty. You know, usually when you go and speak to, you know, this is a large class, maybe 80 or 90 people are there. And usually you feel like, you know, you have something to share, something from your heart to share. But both of us, felt like, a, like an empty glass with nothing, which was, was, was a decidedly painful thing, I think because we weren't on the same page. So we said, what to do? So we, we prayed about it. We said, Lord, you can't delay the meeting. We knew we, they we, were there. They we, were expecting us. We knew we had to teach. So we both prayed, and we said, Lord, you know, this is a really painful time, but could you please help us? And so we went. And I don't even remember what we said or what we taught, but we utilized, you know, we, we have these principles that we teach. So we, you know, we, we worked through them. But at the end of the night, I realized that God had really blessed. And that's the wonderful thing is even when we're tired, even when we're not feeling like sometimes we may not be communicating the best and we haven't been able to put it together just right, with God's help, he can help, he can make a presentation a blessing. One thing that Corey Timboom said that I've really appreciated is she said, you know, don't think that of yourself as a reservoir or as a holding tank, but as a channel. You know, so we, it's not like we have to consider that we have something that we want to give someone else. No, we want to ask that God can, can love others, can reach others through us, that we can just be a channel. And I think that concept is very liberating when you're making presentations. You know, that night actually was one of the most moving nights that we've had. There were quite a number of people in tears at the end of that program that night, realizing their deep need. Uh, and God can work. I, I remember Mark this morning after Phil's talk, uh, mentioned that when he had first heard that talk, he felt so small. He didn't feel like a physician with a little p. He hardly even felt like an MD. 
and I, and I didn't have the opportunity to say, oh, Mark, you finally got to the place where God could use you. Because when we get to the end of our resources, that's when God can finally use us. It's not about us, it's about him. And when you think you've got it all together, sometimes the Lord lets you stumble and fall. But if you'll sincerely ask him for help when everything's falling apart, oh, how he can use you then. And then you say, oh, yeah, it wasn't about me. <laughs> it was about you all along. And I think that's one of the beauties of presenting things together. It's harder and it's better because you have to depend on a higher power that can help you communicate. Uh, on a different level. So uh, let me read one other quote here that, um, and then we'll transition to the next uh, segment. This is from Desire of Ages, uh, page 340, paragraph one. It's at the end of the uh, chapter about the demoniacs. Um, and she says, we can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for want of which the world is perishing. So what is the witness that the world is perishing because it doesn't have? The witness of how, what Jesus has done for you, right? How he's worked in your life. Uh, I think that one of the most potent things that you can do to motivate people is to share stories from your own life or stories of other patients. Um, they remember stories. They'll forget the chemistry. My wife is right. Even you've forgotten a lot of biochemistry is my guess, right? But you don't forget stories. And so sharing stories is so important. Uh, from your own life and from uh, happenings in your practice. I think one of the reasons that sharing stories is so important is when you walk into a room, um, at least maybe the first few times, you're dealing with basically a whole lot of strangers, people that you've never encountered before. And your heart's most close wish is to be able to communicate with these people to be able to share with them concepts and principles that you know can be a blessing to them. But in between you and them is a gap of understanding and a gap of, of closeness that makes it sometimes hard to communicate because you don't know each other. And one thing that I have noticed time and time again is that if you take the time to share from your own life experience with a group of brand new strange people, all of a sudden, instead of a room full of strangers, all of a sudden you start feeling like kind of a large extended family. And I've watched it time after time, and you know, the, the people we work with are very secular. The part of Maine we live on, the coast of Maine, is quite a secular place. So they're not, you know, they're not strongly, it's not the Bible Belt. And so it's not a place where you can easily talk about spiritual things. But when we have shared our own family experiences and our own personal experiences, 
all of a sudden, when I look out and I look into people's faces, I see the light come on. And I know that they are with me. And then when you talk about concepts, you can see that they're really understanding it and applying it to their own heart. So one of the stories, or one of the things that happens in people that really um, embrace what we teach at the Lifestyle Choices course, and the people that come to that are people that have problems like diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease, usually quite severe. Uh, a typical case is a lady had been to Maine Medical Center, the referral hospital in Maine, the, the biggest one, and she had small vessel coronary artery disease, and the doctors told her there's nothing we can do for you because everything's too little to bypass. We can't have Brian Schwartz fly in from uh, Ohio and do revascularization. And so they said, just go home. You, you won't be able to do much. We'll maximize your medicine. But her blood pressure was low. So in order for her to get from the car into the lecture room, she had to put a nitro under her tongue. And then she could get into the lecture room without chest pain. And so this is the kind of person that comes. By the way, at the end of two weeks, she was walking a mile without any medicine and felt much better. But with that, it, when you're working with people like that, the diet that you have to use is what we call a therapeutic diet. It's much stricter than if you're healthy and, and running around. So I, I use an illustration, uh, first of all, about cleaning your cupboard because if you're coming to this thing and you're eating a usual uh, American diet, the first thing you've got to go do is go home and empty the freezer and empty the cupboards and get rid of everything. So I tell the story about when I was in medical school and I brought home an Annals of Internal Medicine. That was the year that they had a whole lot of uh, information on milk and resistant bacteria and and transmitting to humans and I thought well my wife will like this so I brought it home and I started reading it to her I was in the kitchen and she was uh, fixing supper and you know then I noticed she was going to our refrigerator and getting out the yogurt and the milk and she was pouring it down the drain I said what are you doing we we just paid for that and she said well didn't you just read me this article <laughs> and I use that as an illustration of, yeah, it can be done. You can do it. I went through it, and you may have to, too. Uh, uh, Lynn's a, a very interesting person in that she hears something, she's convinced, and it's over. I mean, we're doing it. And that happened to us again. I, I started reading this stuff by Esselstyn and others about oil and nitric oxide production, and she said, okay and threw the oil out. And if you come and visit us today, we have oil at home for the car and, you know, for, but there's none in the cupboard. And, you know, I was really sad because Barry can remember I made waffles every Sunday morning for years and I used olive oil. I knew it was the best oil and, and you know, I used a lot in there because you don't want things to stick, you know. And for months, I just sat around glum on Sunday mornings. I thought, I can't have waffles. I've gone to Auschwitz, you know? And what am I gonna do? And, and then, you know, we started experimenting and, and now I've got a waffle uh, recipe, two or three of them that are oil-free and I like them even better. 
And people can relate to those stories that you tell. It helps them bridge those, those tough points in their life. And it helps, it helps motivate them to change that, yeah, they struggled too. And then we get other participants. And one of the things we do with our class that if you ever want to start one, I'd recommend is anyone that's gone through the program once can return free to any of the lectures. And every time they're repeaters, and I'll call them out. I'll say, how was it with you when you did this? And it's wonderful, the testimonies they share. Stories are very empowering, particularly your own stories. There's one other area that um, stories are helpful, and I think uh, very motivational, and that is in the spiritual arena, as Lynn has already alluded to. If you're working with someone who isn't a Christian, who isn't spiritual, if you bring out your Bible, you lose them. But if you tell them your own experience, they stay with you. And uh, so Lynn's going to tell you a story. Well, this is a story that we, we tell, I often have told on Friday nights, and I'll tell it to you. Our boys homeschooled, um, Barry and his brothers, and this is a story about John. I think Barry was already at college, but John was at home sitting on our floor doing chemistry with a Becca um, video school. Some of you may be familiar with that. So he was sitting there watching his chemistry class, his Abeka teacher. I don't remember the teacher, but they were all pretty good. So he was sitting there and I was in the kitchen doing something, and John got distracted. He started looking out the window. And Which he did regularly. <laughs> and he was looking out the window and he said, Mom, come here. So I thought, oh, what's this? I didn't think the chemistry was quite that interesting. So I ran out into the living room and he said, look at that. And we both looked out the window and um, right in front of our house, a big eagle had come down and it just caught a fish. And so this eagle had caught the fish and then he was trying to lift it up out of the water. So he was, you know, it was right in front of the house, so you could see it really easy. So he was pumping his wings, and he'd get up maybe about this high above the water. And then, the, the, but the fish was too large, so it pulled him back down under the water. And I thought, oh, John, that's terrible. And so then he, he'd, he'd try again. And he'd, he must have done it five or six times. He'd come up out of the water and then splash back down in the water again. And John and I looked at each other and we said, you know what, if he doesn't let go of that fish, it's gonna kill him. And so, you know, you do what of course you have to do. We ran out on the deck and we both said, drop the fish. <laughs> well, of course, you know, that was a foolish thing to do because, you know, the eagle couldn't hear us and wouldn't have known what we were trying to explain. Well, thankfully, maybe the fish struggled Maybe he got tired, whatever the case is. The eagle climbed out, and there's a ledge, a rock ledge out there, not too far from our house. And the eagle was just sitting there, whew, looking like, oh my goodness, I'm really tired. But it was such a powerful visualization for me when I saw it, because I thought, you know, it is so easy to hang on to something that you think you've got to have even when it's absolutely pulling you down. 
you know, and, and when we, so when we talk and when we teach classes, we talk about this. And what we usually do is we'll put up a whiteboard and we'll say, you know, what, you know, has there been anything in your life that you, or you have known someone that's held on to something that's just pulled them down because they're not able to let it go? And often people, you know, and I will usually try and share, you know, share some things that I have worked with people. You know, I have some people that I've loved dearly that held on to bitterness. And that bitterness literally pulled them down. And so when you've seen that firsthand and when you've loved someone and you've watched them experience that, you know, how important is it to learn to let things go? And so when you just, it's a very simple story, you know, and it, it did really happen, right, with us. But just sharing a story like that can open up the doors for people to start thinking about things, things that they might be hanging on to in their own lives that they need to let go of. And we tell them, the eagle couldn't get help from us, but you can get help from God to help you let go of those things. And it's a wonderful thing to see the light go on in people's eyes when you tell that simple story and they see, you know, the eagle couldn't listen, but maybe God can help me. So uh, I think our time's up. We have more things that we can cover. Any questions? Well, the fish got away, and the eagle climbed out and dried his feathers and eventually flew off. Uh, and, and you can recover, too, from hanging on to bitterness. God will help you. <laughs> All right, well, let's close with prayer. Our Father, we are so thankful that you will work together with us and that even if we're single, we have you as a heavenly Father. We're part of a family. We pray for those here who are married, that you will help them work together to bring others to a knowledge of the wonderful heavenly family that we're a part of. Bless and keep us now. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.